Welcome to Rebuilding the Beast. My name is Festus Ezeli, NBA player turned podcast host. And on this show, I'm going to have my inspiring friends come on to take you through their rebuilding journeys. I hope you can take the tips from their stories and apply it to your life as well. What do you know about IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, also known as Crohn's disease? Approximately 1.6 million Americans currently have IBD. Well, today we're going to be talking to British journalist, Bryony Hopkins. She's going to explain to us her story and her journey uh, after being diagnosed at a very young age. I am really excited to have this conversation because I'm going to be educated, but I hope you guys are as well, and maybe it'll give you some empathy for other people who are going through this. And I hope her life story also gives you some tips on how to support people who are dealing with IBD. So here we go. Bryony Hopkins. I'm really, really grateful to you for, for joining me today. Rebuilding the Beast is a baby for me because it's it started off with me. It started off with my own journey of rebuilding myself back up. And, you know, I played in the NBA for a few years. I'm an NBA player. I got hurt. And my injury was a very rare one, one that, you know, they say that the, the probabilities of coming back from are really low. And um, with that, it gave me this idea and I, I just kept fighting. I never gave up. And along the way, I kept meeting people and people would hear my story and be inspired by it. And I was like, wow, like, what can I do with this story? What can I do with this journey? And I was like, wow, like, and people were like, yo, like, you should do something where you're speaking to people because people like love to relate with you and they love your story. I was like, yeah, but it's bigger than me, though. Like, I know that people are inspired by my story. But what about the people who don't who don't know anything about recovering from an injury? What about other people who are just rebuilding through different parts of their lives? So that's how Rebuilding the Beast became a thing for like in terms of other people, because it started off as me rebuilding my own beast and then. And so I really just want to learn from other people and have people tell their stories because I think it's so powerful when we can tell our own stories. I think it's really beautiful. People can learn from you. You can reflect on your journey. And it's just a way to create a community that way. So I'm really, really grateful that you agree to do this with me. Thank you for, for joining me, Brian. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. And I think Rebuilding the Beast, it's such an important, I mean, it just says it all in the name, isn't it? When I first heard it, I just thought, I can just relate to that on so many levels. So you are a beast yourself. I've seen your profile. Uh, I had to stalk you a little bit. And, <laughs> and it, was, it was really cool to see the message that you, that you have for people, right? You are rebuilding your, your beast as well. And along the way, you're also taking people on the journey. And um, you're telling people and you're teaching people about IBD. Yeah. I don't know much about it. I have friends who have it. My father suffers from a kind of it. And um, I just, I feel like this will be very educational for me as well and for, for everybody who is going to hear this uh, and for people who need to hear this. So thank you for joining me. Uh, and you got to remind me, or you got to not remind me, but you got to say it again so we can know how to say your name properly. <laughs> it's Brian, <laughs> Brian Hopkins. Brian. Yeah, Brian it's, Welsh. it's Welsh actually. Welsh. Welsh. And you're calling him from... You're calling in from London. And I'm calling from London, yeah. And you said that, that since you guys are in the lockdown, this is like a this is like a like a fun day out for you right now. This is <laughs> a height of Saturday night entertainment, and I'm really not exaggerating when I say that. Okay, so I mean I'm a I'll tell you about me right now. I'm in Orlando in this hotel room and I'm in quarantine because for me to join this league, this basketball league, that I'm 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 taking the next step in my recovery. And for me to join them, they're very draconian in their in their uh, uh, COVID protocols. They said I have to stay in quarantine for a week in this room, and then I can go play basketball. So this is a fun day out for sure for me. I, I'm just happy to talk to anybody, <laughs> but I'm really really excited to work on this. I'm excited to do this with you. What day are you on of your quarantine? This is day five. Day, you know, oh, day five. I, uh, yeah, this is like my workout space. This is my, this is my, my eating area right here. This is my sleeping area behind me. 
No, and you just yeah. stick your head out the window when you need some fresh air. Yeah, you know, yesterday, so um, the guy next to me is also in quarantine. So I had this, I was just, I was going crazy yesterday. And so I opened the door and I just put my chair at the door and I was just sitting there, just reading a book, just wanting to get some fresh air. And 20 minutes in, he opens his door and puts his chair out. He's like, oh, shoot, you had the same idea. <laughs> because we were both like, that. this is crazy. So I don't know how much video games you could play, but this is all part of it, right? I, I say this and I, I really want to paint the picture because I'm doing this because it's a part of the thing that I want to do. It's a part of my dream. Like, I want to go play basketball again. And I've worked so hard. It's been three years, almost four, of me doing my rehab every day. That's my own journey and that's my story. And I love it, right? But I want to talk about you because that's why we're here. I want to, I want to know about you and your journey. So you've talked to us so much about um, Crohn's disease. I just would love to hear from you. What's been your journey with it? What, what is Crohn's disease? Yeah. So Crohn's disease is a form of IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease, which basically means that your immune system attacks your digestive system. So my immune system doesn't behave like a normal immune system and it just continually sort of attacks my digestive system um, unless I'm on medication um, and sometimes they have to perform surgery, which is part of my um, journey, which I'll get on to. So it's, um, it's a chronic illness once you're diagnosed with it there is no cure you just have to learn to manage it um you can get into really long spells of remission which basically means you can be symptom free um but ultimately there's no cure so obviously when you get the diagnosis it's 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 a huge thing in itself because it's it's lifelong and it's gonna you know ultimately it does impact every element of your life so for me i was diagnosed when i was four years old so I was really tiny, um, which is weird. I, I always say, I, I think it might have been a blessing in a strange way because one, I don't know any different. And quite a lot of the time when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness, you can almost go through like a grieving process because you kind of think about your life before your diagnosis and what your life is like afterwards. I don't really have, for me anyway, I don't have that comparison. And also it's 100% made me the person that I am today like it's made me so resilient and determined um and all of these traits that I'm really proud to have there's a picture you posted where you you were young with a tube up your nose yeah just can you describe your early life with Crohn's like I, I know it wasn't easy having to deal with that being so young yeah it was it was really challenging um and actually sort of having a chronic illness means that it sort of you know there are peaks and troughs and um but my sort of real troughs like my real low points were when I was uh younger and that picture when I had a tube up my nose that was sort of part of some of the treatment I had to have I had to basically go on this uh 12-week liquid diet where I didn't eat anything and I was fed through a tube and I was still you know going to school like trying to you know do everything that you know a young girl does um and it was really difficult and I kind of always knew like in my sort of early years sort of building up to the age of 12 which is when I had my first major operation that surgery was probably going to be something that I needed you know medication can only do so much and sometimes it just doesn't work and for me it didn't and I was going through so many treatments and so many side effects and it wasn't obviously just impacting me but it was impacting my brothers and you know my parents you know as a unit we were all on this journey together you said you were it's a lifelong thing mm. but at the same time you said you would have to have surgery is the surgery corrective what, what would the surgery do Crohn's disease can impact any part of your digestive system. So any, anywhere from the mouth right down to the bottom. And for me, my Crohn's disease was particularly bad in my large colon, which is responsible for sort of absorbing water and salts and obviously is, is actually a major organ. But my large intestine was just an absolute bit. It was so inflamed and ulcerated and it was, it was so unresponsive to medication that it was that was what was making my childhood so difficult um so for me it was kind of got to the point even at the age of 12 years old that I couldn't carry on living with my large intestine still inside my body um and by the by that point it sounds mad at only 12 years old I was I was uh, my quality of life was practically non-existent you know I was I was in hospital more than I was at school you know I it was it was awful to be honest what is it What's awful in this page? I just want to paint the picture. Yeah. So it's 
pain it's you you don't you're not absorbing any nutrients so you're not you're not your weight is you know non-existent um so you're really physically weak probably this is tmi but everything is passing through you very quickly so you spend a lot of time in the bathroom you are also losing a lot of blood like i mean a lot of blood so yeah these are the kind of symptoms and there is still obviously still a taboo attached to talking about stuff like that so it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about raising awareness about it um but yeah those are the kind of symptoms so pain you know you're not gaining any weight really weak physically weak losing a lot of blood not being able to be very far from the bathroom like it it, it was completely debilitating and you know you can't really function in day-to-day life when that's kind of what you're having to deal with and actually that is not for me you know I wanted to I wanted to, you know, still hang out with my friends and be able to do stuff. And that well, I couldn't do any of those things when I still had my large intestine. So at 12 years old, they were like, okay, Bryony, I think we're going to have to move, remove your large intestine. But to remove your large intestine, you're going to have to live with something called a stoma bag, which is when they bring your intestine out into your, your stomach and you have an ostomy bag attached to your stomach. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, that came with so many emotions as a 12-year-old girl, teenager. But at the same time, I was just so desperate for a normal, you know, some sort of quality of life that didn't mean I was bound to the bathroom um, that I was just like, yeah, do it. Do what you need to do. So because right now you don't have your your intestines out. So no. what was the purpose of them? Oh, no, I, so I, I don't have a large intestine now. I function without one. Okay, so maybe explain a little like more. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I, I do want to know. I'm genuinely curious because I don't know anything about this. And I, like you said earlier, the, the large intestine, is it the large intestine that, that helps you digest yeah. the food? Yeah, part, part of it. So your digestive system, sorry, I'm probably not explaining this very well. No, you're doing great. You're doing great. But I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> questions are good. Um, so your large intestine is or is a major organ, but you can live without it. So for me, they could remove it. Um, and I would have this stoma bag, which I had for a temporary amount of time. I had it for about three or four years as a teenager. Um, and my quality of life, like, it was transformative, like, in terms of, for me, my Crohn's had, had for, for want of a better phrase, eaten my large intestine away to the point where it was like, there was nothing that could repair it. It had to come out. Um, and once I had, once it was gone, things really massively started to change. But obviously then I was living with a stoma bag when I was 12 years old as a teenage girl. So it, even though my life had changed for the better, um, it came with a whole new set of challenges. And, and so you can live without a large intestine because your small intestine also absorbs a lot of your nutrients and, you know, can help you function normally. I guess that was kind of, in terms of like my rebuilding the beast journey, that was definitely like a, a huge moment for me. Tell me, tell me what this is like. Like even me as a 30-year-old now, 31-year-old, I feel like it's a it's hard for me to imagine it right now. But this was your reality as a 12-year-old. And as you're going into your teenage years with this kind of trauma, what was this like emotionally? What were you dealing with? I was just so determined to do everything that everyone else was doing. Like I just wanted to go to school like everyone else. I just wanted to like go to the school discos. I wanted to go to sleepovers and school trips. And so I just, I just got on with it really. I mean, it was, you know, there was, I was living with a lot of emotional trauma and actually emotional trauma that, so I'm, I'm 28 now. And I have dealt with a lot of that trauma actually in recent years because I was so determined to sort of push through. And, you know, I, um, I'm now like, I'm a journalist at the BBC now. I've achieved everything that I wanted to and I have the career in media that I wanted to and it's it's funny like looking back on it I just really just I I rebuilt like that and just and pushed through it because I just wanted to live my best life I wanted to do what everyone else was doing and I didn't see why just because I've got a chronic condition why I should be any different you've been talking about it you're firing me up 
you <laughs> are a beast. Like you were like, yeah, like, I just, I, I had to keep going. Like, and this is what this is about. It's about the people who don't give up. You know, sometimes life is life is shitty and it gives us these crazy cards that we we have to just play and figure out how to deal with it. And we have to keep moving. And I'm sure here somebody hearing your story and hearing your journey will be inspired by the fact that you were just like, yo, this is what it is. I have to keep moving. I know it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination. I can't imagine what a 12 year old, you know, would have to deal with at that time. But here you talk about it now. Obviously, it's affecting you going to school. It's affecting your 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 life, your social life. Um, your family has to help you during this time. How do you move? Like you said, like yeah, I, I want to. I'm determined to get back to normal living. So now you have your your colon taken out. Yeah. What's the next step? What happens after this? I was just so determined to do everything that everyone else was doing. Like I just wanted to go to school like everyone else. I just wanted to like go to the school discos. I wanted to go to sleepovers and school trips. And so I just, I just got on with it really. I mean, it was, you know, there was, I was living with a lot of emotional trauma and actually emotional trauma that, so I'm, I'm 28 now. And I have dealt with a lot of that trauma actually in recent years because I was so determined to sort of push through. And, you know, I, um, I'm now like I'm a journalist at the BBC now. I've achieved everything that I wanted to, and I have the career in media that I wanted to. And I, it's, it's funny, like looking back on it, I just really just I re, I rebuilt like that and just and pushed through it because I just wanted to live my best life. I wanted to do what everyone else was doing, and I didn't see why just because I've got a chronic condition, why I should be any different. So for me, I had my colon taken out and I had to live with something called a stoma bag, which has a massive stigma attached. And people often just think that, you know, old people have them. The actual fact is there are many, many young people that have to have them. Being a teenage girl is probably, I don't know many people who would say they'd go back to being a teenage girl. Like it's a hard time where you're going through puberty, figuring out who you are, who you want to be. I was doing that and I I had a stoma bag. Like it was almost... When I look back on it, I, I think sometimes I, I don't know how I, I did that because I wasn't, you know, you're developing so much emotionally at that time and physically. Um, and I was doing that whilst having a stoma bag. For me, that stoma bag was temporary. So I just had it for a few years. And then I had a reversal, which is basically when they, this is when it gets really technical. They attach the end of your small intestine to the tiny bit of the large intestine that they had left. So mm-hmm. I've got a lot of abdominal scarring, but I don't have... Um, an external bag anymore yeah it was it was a lot to deal with and I think sort of when I'm going into my early 20s it was really a journey for me to sort of learn to love my body because essentially I'd had a body for my entire life that was like working against me it literally is one of the toughest things for anybody is to accept accept their scars yeah you know for everybody like even me for example obviously I've had a fair share of surgeries and so I have scars all over my my knees both of them and sometimes when I play, I, I, I cover them. And that, it's something I'm like, maybe it means I'm damaged. Yeah. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And so especially in my sport where we have to be superhuman. So that you try to cover up your scars. But to be honest, my, I really came to this confirmation recently that the scars are actually a sign of that beast I'm talking about. They're a sign of the things that I survived. Like you can't break me is what this means. Like I'm... You can do everything to hurt me, but you can't break me. And that was, that's what it symbolizes to me. How did you and what, what kind of work did you have to do to accept your scars? Obviously, I did a lot of therapy, too. And, yeah. I did a lot of, you know, I do a lot of reading. I, I you know, I'll, I'm always inside my own self, trying to understand myself, trying to, you know, it's, a, it's an active process that you have to go through. What was your work like? A hundred percent. So I think for me, um, a lot of therapy, for sure. Um, and also I think just it things change when you just get older and you realize kind of what things are important and I am very lucky that I've got like a very supportive partner we've been together for a very long time I have amazing friends I've got amazing family and sort of through those support networks you know I was going on holiday with my friends um, and they were like why are you why are you trying to cover your scar who do you who what do you think is going to happen who do you think is looking at you Ooh, good and question. What do you think is going to happen? And, I, and I'm and i like, oh, I don't really have an answer for that, actually. 
and they'll be you know you know what girls are like they'll hype each other up and my friends will be like just go just you know wear that wear that bikini you look really fit go and go and just go get go on the beach do what and I was like oh yeah okay yeah and then once I sort of did it once and realized that no one was looking and no one really cared apart from the only person who cared about it was me it was kind of like it was just completely liberating and then I realized that um yeah the only person who was thinking about it and spending so much energy on it was me whereas everyone else either and if people were looking it was just because they were curious or were thinking oh wow you know that's not a small scarf she must have been through something really big and and look at her now so it's and it's that comes down to mindset which is exactly what this project like you said is all about and so important because it that was my mindset is was shifting it and that actually I was like if people want to look at it then I'm proud you know stare all you want I really don't mind um shout out to PS we got to give a quick shout out to your friends because you gotta <laughs> this journey is you can't go through this journey by yourself that's yeah. something I've realized my friends have been huge for me during this process they come through for me on days where I'm like man I, I don't know if I got and they talk life into me like, yo, what are you talking about? Do you know what you came, where you came from, what you've yeah. been through, all these things? And they hype me up. I'm like, yeah, I'm the shit. <laughs> you know? yes. So um, shout out to your friends. And if, you, if there's anybody that comes to mind that you want to give a shout out to, you can now. Oh, um, yes. We, we, there was three girls that I live with at uni and we called, us, we called ourselves the Goldfinch Girls because we lived on a road called Goldfinch Avenue and we used to go on yeah. loads of holidays together. We haven't, since COVID, we haven't, but yeah, those, those are my girls. They would just make me feel, and even just being with them would make me feel good. And it's that, like you said, that makes all the difference. Yeah, I love it. So you started a club. It's called the Bad Gut Club. Yeah. Love the name, by the way. Thank you. And you started this together with Lewis. Yeah. Can you give us a teaser about what you have planned for it? Yeah. So that this is a really exciting project because obviously raising awareness about IBD is something that's really important to me. But obviously I can only talk about it from my experience. And there are so many different experiences that you can have um, for you know so many different reasons. Um, and this is a community that I've set up with Lois that sort of encompasses all experiences. And the first thing that we're going to be doing, we're doing an event um, which is really exciting. And um, we've got loads of people who have IBD speaking from loads of different, you know, experiences and perspectives. And so it's just about community, which I think is, you know, something that you're doing so well is, is having a place where you can go to to find your people. And, you know, even us just chatting now, we both get it. Like there's, there's kind of a connection when yeah. you've been through something. And um, I hope, for IBD, that's what this community will do. So I always give this analogy, and I don't know if this has been the same for you, but this is kind of why I started this whole thing. So I had surgery and I was in a wheelchair for six months. You don't know how tall I am, but I'm 6'11", which is in meters, it's 2'11". And that's how tall I am in real life. But when I, well, after I had surgery, I was in a wheelchair for six months. This is a whole identity change for me, right? So now I'm 4'11", four feet tall, just going through life. I say it all the time that God changed my perspective, literally changed my perspective on life. Now I'm seeing everything I'm seeing is different. But that was for a reason, you know, because one of the things that was weird is like, I never, I always say that I never noticed people in wheelchairs before because I did, but I never noticed them as much as I did when I was in one and I went out of my way. I was like, yo, I'm high-fiving people in wheelchairs. Like everywhere I go, I got to go through the wheelchair accessible line. Right. Like, and everything is so, my experience is so different. And it really made me realize how tough it is. And so in this moment of difficulty, adversity challenge, how I, I really started to, feel for this community i still really started to feel for people who were going through these kind of tough times i say that for everything and that's why i started this rebuilding the beast community and for me it's like god gave me this mountain so that i can show others that it can be moved that's the quote that i use all the time but that's also a thing that connects me to other people who have been through hard times and i want to create this community for that is that kind of how you see your own journey of 
the things that you've been through in your own journey, is that what connects you to other people who are going through some of the same stuff that you're going through? Yeah, 100%. And one of the things I really believe is that there is such depth of connection when you're vulnerable. You know, when you show your most vulnerable self and you talk openly from the heart, you know, I, I genuinely believe that I can I forge really meaningful and deep connections with people because I am so open and I am open on my platform. It means that automatically people feel like whether they've been through similar experiences or not, people will connect with me because I am open and honest about my own um, experiences and journey. And I think also looking back to when I was a teenager, I had just had this major surgery. I was coming to terms with a new body and my scars and social media wasn't a thing. There were, I had a pen friend at the opposite side of England who I used to write letters to. And she was the only person I knew who'd been through the same thing as me. I It was so isolating and it was so lonely. And I want to start my platform so that if someone else going through that won't have to feel how I felt because it was it was really it was completely isolating I felt like I was the only person in the world going I through feel that. like you were speaking to my soul <laughs> that's exactly what I was going through no no uh, well there has there have been a couple of people who have had the injury nobody yeah. has fought through it to the point that I did to come back from it and as I was going through it I was like man like who can I reach out to? Who's who's there to talk to me? Who's there to tell me that everything's going to be okay? Even if it's not to be everything's going to be okay, like, yo, like, I'm here with you, right? Other than my friends, but they don't know what I'm going through. Like, the people who went through it in the past, it would be so comforting. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, since I didn't have that, I can be that for somebody else. The same way I'm a, I'm a firstborn, and I'm the older brother to, to four siblings. And Nobody was there to pave the way for me, to tell me where to go and how to. I moved to America by myself. And, and I actually, originally, I'm from Nigeria. So I moved to America by myself, and I had to pave this way. And I was drafted to a team. I don't think this is a co coincidence. The teams I played for in the NBA were the Warriors and the Trailblazers. And I feel like there was no coincidence in the no, way that's that... That's a sign, for sure. Yeah. You know, you got to fight, and you're going to be a trailblazer. So... It's just this idea that that my fight is not for it's, it's not for nothing. It's for for people to 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 be able to follow in this path. So I, I'm really grateful. If I haven't said it before, I'm really grateful that we're speaking today because it's like it, it's confirmation for me. Like constantly, I'm hearing it in, in you and the things that you're doing. So I'm really proud. I, I really want you to keep going. There can't be enough people in this space. No, definitely not. And I think one of the things, and you probably can relate to this as well is that I feel like I never stop rebuilding the beast I feel like every single day living with a chronic illness I have to like dig a bit deeper I have to when you think that you can't dig any deeper you somehow find you somehow manage to because there will always be new little obstacles to overcome you know my Crohn's hasn't gone away um, and there are there will be future obstacles as well but I know now that like I've been through the darkness and, and come out the other side like multiple times. So I, people always ask me, in fact, someone asked me the day, they're like, how do you stay positive when things are tough with your chronic illness? And I just, I know that nothing lasts forever. I know that there are better days coming because I've done it multiple times and I will do it again and everything will be all right. So you have to stay positive. You have to. Absolutely. You can't let them win. What them being, you can't let the those evil minions that jump in your head sometimes and say, ah, you can't, or ah, you're not good, or ah, like they're always gonna come up. These challenges are gonna keep coming up through life. If it wasn't this, it'd be something else. And what you said is so powerful. Like I, I you can't stop, you can't let them win. It's gonna pass eventually, you know. And and to be honest, the best way I've heard it put is life is gonna be hard either way. Right. It's hard if you stop and it's hard if you keep going. But why would you stop and not get anything? You might as well keep going and get to that next place, that success, the achievement, the whatever happiness, joy. It's on the other side. Why would you stop here in hell where you're suffering? Yeah. You know, so when you think about it that way, sometimes it's like, yo, I really I can't stop because I want to know the, the end of the story. I want to know how this ends. I want to know where this goes from here. You know? Yeah. yeah. 
completely and, and actually one of the sort of mindsets that's really helped me and and was I used to spend a lot of my teens and my early 20s really worrying about what was going to happen in the future like what if I have to have more surgery what if I'm too ill to work what if this what if that none of those things were based on evidence they were all just worries that didn't really come to any fruition so now I really harness the facts and I actually think it's really helped me in this pandemic as well is that I just have to take one day at a time. You know, none of us know what's going to happen in the future. And there's not much point worrying about what's happened in the past. Uh, obviously, therapy helps with that, dealing with stuff that's happened in the past. But <laughs> <laughs> I just need to, I think there's a quote that's like, you don't have to focus on, you don't have to climb the whole staircase. You just have to focus on the step in front of you. And so that's how I live my life now. And I really think that it's helped me achieve what I've achieved so far you know I'm a senior journalist at the BBC I uh, that was, was going to be my next my next question <laughs> that is a really big deal I did uh, earlier when you mentioned it I was like ah, right, let me sidestep it because I feel like I, I want to get there eventually because that's its own that's a huge feat congratulations thank you yeah so tell me about that tell me about you know getting your work life and, and getting to that position that that had to be that having to work that this probably comes with its own set of set of challenges when you have to work as well. How were you able to deal with that and climb to where you are now? What's the what, can you, if you can give me like a quick little story about your journey and in, in, in work life so far? Yeah, for sure. So I did um, I did drama at university, which basically just involved me dancing around and um, <laughs> um, oh, in so a you can dance. Pardon? So you can dance. Yeah, I can dance. Yeah. <laughs> not very I'm good learning, anymore, but <laughs> um and um so I got my I got a job at the BBC sort of quite soon after I left university in my early 20s and I just worked really hard and, and climbed the ranks and just even when my Crohn's got in the way which it has multiple times I just was always really and it's not easy but I was always really open about it I just think communication is key and if you're open and honest with your employer and the people that you're working with, then everyone is on the same page. And, you know, I, I work really hard. Um, so, you know, when I'm there, I'm giving it 110%. And when I'm not there because I'm not well, I'm unwell. It's not my fault. It is what it is. So, um, again, just that it's just a mindset. I just really, when I'm able, I work as hard as I can. And if I'm unwell, I'm unwell. And I just have to accept that. Tell me about communicating with your employer about having an illness. A lot of us don't know how to how that process is or what, what do you even say? I mean, it's not easy and it's definitely something that I've had to like refine over time. But now I will, you know, I'll say I have Crohn's disease. It's a chronic lifelong condition. It means that my immune system attacks my digestive system. This is how it impacts me. Sometimes I look absolutely fine, but I'm feeling absolutely awful. And the only, because that's the other thing, Crohn's is an invisible illness. You know, you wouldn't know to look at me that I have a, a chronic illness. So that's another reason it's super, super important to be open. And I, one of the things I have just, I have learned is that people and employers, obviously, you know, you're there to do a job and they want to get the best out of you, but ultimately they are people too. And they are far more compassionate than sometimes I think we think they are. And I just think, in, in my experience anyway, and I can only speak from my experience, being open and honest has always just led to really positive interactions and has never really, it's never really caused an issue for me. Just being That's open nice. and honest as, as much as you can. So this is a, a pretty big deal, being a, a journalist for BBC. Yeah. Is this something that, is, was this always a, a dream for you to, to get to this point? I, I definitely wanted to work in the media and I wanted to tell stories, which is something that I do on my platform. And now I'm really lucky I can obviously do that at the BBC as well. Um, yeah, it definitely was. I really wanted to work in the media. So it is, and to, and to be in the position that I am now, I'm, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but you know, I feel, I do feel really proud of myself. Please do. Please do. <laughs> That's the thing. See, like you, we have to be proud of ourselves because when you go through this fight and you get to the other side of, you know, we, we have to blow our own trumpets because, like, it's a big deal to be able to, to go through these life's challenges, life journey, and keep fighting to get to where you want to go. So that's a really, really big deal. I, I'm really proud of you. That's really, I'm, that's awesome. 
what kind of things do you do you talk about do you write about do you you know so um i write and i also produce and present films so i've done so i actually did a film about ibd which um, was the, one of the first films the BBC had ever made about it. And it got millions of views overnight, which was just a huge accomplishment for me. And I had people emailing me from all over the world telling me that they'd seen it and that it made a difference to them. So, um, but I've also done work on, um, I've made a film about domestic abuse last year. I made a film about um, student mental health. So a lot of topics that I think are really important. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that I have the opportunity to tell other people's stories on such a you know such a big platform you're definitely an inspiration you're one the, you're the definition of you get up and help the next person up and this is that's so beautiful to me so having a functioning gut is something that we all take for granted right and you know if you don't have any issues about issues with your gut you don't really think about it and Crohn's is an invisible illness so people can't directly see it but do you think that that's a good thing or are there times where you wish that it was more visible? That is a good question. When I was younger, I was, I think I was pleased that it was invisible because I didn't have to talk about it. And actually, I, considering I was diagnosed when I was four years old, I didn't start talking openly about my Crohn's disease until I was about 21. So that is, you know, a really, really long period of time to, and having been through everything I'd already gone through to sit on that and not share it openly and I think part of that was well there wasn't social media around so I didn't know how many other people were living with it I thought I was the only one I thought that people wouldn't understand and then sort of once I became you know through my friends who I live with at uni and through meeting my partner who I met at uni and becoming more open and learning to accept my body or once I sort of became more open about it I realized that nobody cared and that you know it it is part of me, but it's not all of me. And I'm not actually sure if I'm actually answering your question, which was about whether I wish it was. No, no, no. Just keep, like I said, you just keep talking. And it's not really about answering my questions. It's just about explaining your journey about this. So my questions are just, they're just prompts. directions. But you just, yeah, just prompts to help you express your your views on, on this whole thing. But my question was just more about, like, do you wish it was more visible? Because... It's something that we don't think about. We can't see it. And so sometimes when you're telling your boss at work or you're telling friends or family, like, oh, I'm really struggling with this and they don't know, they can't really see what's inside of you. It's the same thing with me. A lot of times, like I have trainers and people who they're very considerate and they're like, yo, let me know if you have issues, I'll, I'll give you a break. All right. But they can't see it. So they can't know that I'm what I'm going through. Sometimes I'm pushing through what I'm not supposed to be. And it's all based on me and my, do you wish sometimes that it was more visible do you feel like it would help if it was more visible? Yes, in some way, in some scenarios, yes, it would help because you have to, again, you have to get really good at communicating and also describing. Like I I have learned that I have to sort of describe how I feel in a way that people will understand. So if I say I'm really fatigued, if you haven't experienced the level of fatigue that chronic illness can give you, it is hard to understand what that feels like because then you might just say, oh, well, you know, I get tired too where they're, they're not the same thing. So I've learned to articulate it in a way that someone else might be able to understand. So, you know, when I'm fatigued, I am so tired, I can't string a sentence together. I can't really process information very well. Can't really keep my eyes open. Things that uh, sort of people can understand. So I think because it's not invisible, it, it does put the onus on you, like you said, to have to communicate and always explain how you feel, which actually can be quite exhausting sometimes and I guess if if it was more visible the less of the onus would be on us to have to explain how we feel all the time if that makes sense that makes a lot of sense my favorite question and, and oh before we even get to that question one of the things I also wanted to know is in terms of you know you said you're in a relationship and you have a partner mm. how does that what kind of adjustments do you have to make in that regard in, in letting somebody in Something as it's definitely even in with my injury, it's been so tough and it's taken a lot of mental energy and focus. It's been hard to even form bonds with people for me because it's like I don't sometimes people complain about stuff. I'm like, yo, I don't have the mental energy to even deal with you right now. You know what I mean? And people they can't they don't understand that I don't have the patience sometimes. 
and it's been tough. So it's something that I'm dealing with as well right now. What has been your experience and how, how have you made adjustments to deal with having a relationship? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it doesn't probably get talked about enough um, because there is, you know, one, it takes a lot when you're like first dating someone to figure out what you want to say and how you want to explain it um, and all of that. But then obviously once you've got into a long-term relationship, so I've been with Josh, my partner for nearly eight years now. Um, and sort of before I met, so I met him at university, but before I met him, I'd had, I'd had relationships, but I never was confident enough to talk about what I'd been through. So, you know, I would, they would even see my scars and I would just like, brush it away or not really explain the full story because I didn't feel comfortable and then when I met Josh and it probably was again this is, actually did really help me sort of sort of come to terms with it and learn to love myself and my body I just I just told him outright and, I, and afterwards I was like oh that's never happened before I've never I've never felt comfortable enough to talk about it that openly um and then obviously as the relationship goes on, you, there are different considerations. You know, my health is really up and down. It impacts both of us and we just have to like continually talk about it. But it is, it is, it's hard. And I guess you just have to, sounds cliche because I'm, I, I think Josh is my person now. So I feel like we've got a good groove, but it definitely wasn't like that for a really long time before I met him. Um, so yeah, there are definitely extra considerations, but I think once you sort of find someone that you feel comfortable with, it, it feels easier. I guess, yeah, that's that's a really good point is even the way you said it about you just were, you were so comfortable that you were just like, yo, I just said it to him and I've never done this before. This is weird. I mean, that's also a sign that this person is your person. But for the people who could possibly hear this, that are the partners. Yeah that maybe the maybe the people who have who are dealing with Crohn's or who are dealing with an illness maybe they're not so comfortable talking about it or maybe they have talked about it um but they're not so comfortable telling them about like what they're really dealing with what can the partners do to make them feel more comfortable yeah that's a really good question i think it probably sounds counterintuitive but space but with the knowledge that your partner knows that they can come to you at any time. So you might, you know, you might say, you might not feel comfortable talking about this right now, but you know that I'm here and I'm here to understand. And I think, you know, when, when me and Josh first got together, he, you know, he didn't know what Crohn's disease was and he had a lot of questions and it was just sort of finding that like comfort level for both of us that he could ask his questions and I felt comfortable enough to answer them. Or if I didn't want to answer it right then, I'd say, I don't really want to talk about this right now. Can we park this for another time? Mm. So for the partners, I think reassurance coupled with space and that it's it's not going to be something that you just figure out and learn straight away. You know, it is a process and a journey that is going to take time. So time as well. And also just ask sometimes, I think, ask your partner what they are comfortable with and what they are happy to talk about. Um, and yeah, it definitely takes time. Are there any, this is where we're here on this relationship advice part of the segment. Yeah. Uh, are there any gifts? Are there any things that your partner has done that you really appreciated that were like, like this is really what I needed at this time? Was there a vacation? Was there something that really helped you in the moment? There's like, oh, this helped me get through this tough time. This helped me get my mind off things. There's just been so many, there's been so many of those. And he's very... Really? He's very. Josh, Josh. I know. He's a. He's Josh, a good, right? That's that right. Yeah, Josh. Yeah. Yes. Where'd go, Josh? He's a good man. <laughs> yes. Um, this sounds really small, but this is something that he does all the time, which just makes a massive difference. Is um. So I get. I still get quite a lot of stomach pain. That's quite. That's a. You know, a very common um, symptom of my Crohn's, and he will always fill up my hot water bottle, and because that's like just something really small that just helps my pain. And sometimes, sometimes I haven't even said. I'm in pain and he'll have filled it up for me, which I just think is amazing. So it's those kind of little things. Or if I'm feeling, he can tell I'm tired, he'll make dinner. It just little things. Uh, moral of the story is everybody go get you a Josh, okay? Yeah. <laughs> get your own Josh. 
Um, when I come off this call, he'll be he'll be really pleased to know that he took up a large segment of this chat. <laughs> no, that's awesome. We got to give love to the people who show love to us. Yeah. One of the things I have learned along my own journey as well is, man, there there is really you can't you can't show enough love. You can't give people enough love. You can't give people their roses enough right now. Not when they're about to be gone. Not when. Let's do it now while they're here supporting us because. The more I, I, I realize this, I realize that once you spread light to people, those people take that light and they, they start, they take that light and it becomes like part of their own light. It, it illuminates their own light and they also take theirs and do it for, they do it for other people. So I really love this process. I love that we're sharing this. I love that we're talking about it. I, I love that you have somebody in your corner that's really there for you and supporting you through this journey. I'm really happy for you. But this is now my favorite question. <laughs> I don't know why. Why do I feel I would, nervous about your favorite question? I want to give a really good. No, answer. the question is it's really the <laughs> no, the question is really the purpose of this whole podcast. Imagine you were to talk to your younger self about the challenges that she was gonna face ahead, or about the life that she was gonna be living ahead. She was gonna be a BBC writer or a BBC journalist rather. What would be your advice? What advice would you give your younger self? I would tell her that she was going to achieve more than she ever thought possible, given everything that was going on. I would tell her that she doesn't have to. It's funny. I've I've been asked this question before and it makes me feel really emotional. I think there's something something quite poignant about thinking about your past self. I would tell her that she would achieve more than she thought possible, given everything that was going on. I would tell her that she doesn't need to worry about what people think of her based on the fact that she's got a chronic condition because it is part of her, but it's not all of her. She's also so much more than that. Um, And I would tell her that everything that she's gone through would make her who she is today. You know, I am... I really can't stress it enough. I'm so proud of so many of the uh, characteristics I, I I think that I have in terms of, you know, like being vulnerable and forming meaningful connections with people and, um, you know, sharing my story as a catalyst to help other people. I'm so proud of all of that. And I don't think that younger Bryony would ever, I don't think younger Bryony would have thought that she would even be able to talk about Crohn's openly let alone sit on a podcast with someone like yourself and talk about it this openly like that in itself she never would have thought would be possible I say it all the time right now I say I am much stronger now than I ever thought that I was there is something about the journey that brings out the thing they bring something out of you and if I were to talk to my younger self, it would be the same thing. It's you just you just don't know. You have no idea who you are. All right. Like you think you're this shy kid that does this. Like, no, you you have no idea. And these things they're happening, they're actually gonna happen for you. You're gonna think you're gonna think they're happening to you, but they're gonna happen for you because as you fight through it, you get stronger, you get better, you get wiser, and you're gonna be able to take that and help and, and it's gonna be part of your your legacy and your destiny. So Man, I'm so, so, so grateful. I'm rooting for you. This is like, I'm so, so grateful. You're such an amazing person. I, I can already feel it. And I'm going to be following you, following your journey. And if if anybody wants to follow you and follow your journey, follow your the projects that you're working on, uh, where can we find them? So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bryony E. Hopkins. Um, and I would love to see you there. And thank you so much. Like, I really, really appreciate you inviting me. You know, it's a massive privilege. And when you dropped into my DMs, I was like, oh, yes. And I think what you're doing with Rebuilding the Beast is absolutely incredible. Like, And I think the thing is, is that with projects like yours, you will be helping so many more people than you even realize. So many more people. As I started to share my story on Instagram, I would have people reaching out to me that had nothing to do with basketball. They didn't, they're people that had never even watched me play. Like, I'm, I haven't played in four years. People are still following me and, and rooting for me and saying, yo, you're inspiring me as I'm going through my own struggles. But it's people who are, somebody's dealing with a heartbreak. Somebody's dealing with loss of a loved one. It has nothing to do with me working back to get back, get back to basketball. But that spirit is something that translates, that other people can feel. And 
man, I just want to, I want to highlight other people. And when I see you and I see you talking and I see you reaching out to people and being vulnerable on Instagram, a platform that's usually curated and people are like showing the best sides in themselves. That's a lot of times fake because nobody is the best side of themselves all the time. It's, it's just, to me, it's like, I just feel connected to you on that, on that, on even just looking at your, your Instagram. So I'm happy that we finally got to connect in person. I can't wait to meet Josh because I had, I feel like I got a lot to learn. <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully someday I get to come to London or if you ever come to the United States, you can reach out and, and let me know. It would be great to have you guys, to host you guys. And hopefully you can come to a game after I'm oh, done. That would be amazing. Yes. I've so never seen, I've never seen, I've never seen an NBA game. Yes. I hope I oh. can be your first. I hope you, I can host you and Josh and I could be your first NBA game. Okay. So I'm working. I got extra motivation now. Yeah. <laughs> we just need <laughs> to be able to travel to the US and then we'll be right there. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, we got a little bit of a, we got a little bit of a situation, right? <laughs> we got to handle it. But in the, in the middle of the pandemic, are, are you still able to work during this time? What, what's the deal with that? Yeah, we, I'm working from home. So we go out um, we go out filming and stuff, obviously all COVID secure. But yeah, we just work fully from home. How do we, how do we find your articles and the things in the, the, the movies or the, yeah. the documentaries that you've, been, that you've been making? So if you, this is going to sound a bit odd. If you Google my name, my portfolio comes up and then you can see all of my films and documentaries and articles. Google me! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've always wanted to be that person that said somebody, somebody, somebody pissed me off. I'm like, hey, Google me, all right? <laughs> I actually can't believe that I just said that. I think I'm a bit embarrassed. No, that's hey, awesome. Google me. Hey, Google her, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, if you ever come to London, please, please do let me know because we know all the we know all the good spots. Thank you for spending your Thank afternoon you. with me and giving me some time. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much honestly it's a, it's a privilege to speak with you so thank you so much yeah of course of course i enjoy your day and uh thank you again thank you and good luck with everything i appreciate it see you later